You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 249 event, which takes place in Jacksonville, Florida. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. MMA Oddsbreaker now has six talented handicappers providing their favorite bets for UFC 249 via MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Check out the MMA Oddsbreaker Premium tab on MMAOddsbreaker.com and sign up today. Back to the present, UFC 249 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN+, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off... On ESPN Plus is a light heavyweight contest featuring Ryan Spann, who is 17 and 5, and Sam Alvey, who is 33 and 13. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? One quick additional shout out before we get started here. As Brian mentioned, we have six new handicappers aboard on MMAOddsbreaker.com. Very proud of the guys because we, we've assembled a, a quality team. All of these guys are proven winners, and all of these guys have been working extremely hard to supply you guys with awesome bets for this weekend's card and beyond. So they have subscriptions available. They have single event packages available as well. So make sure you head over to MMAOddsbreaker.com, click on the Premium Picks tab, and check out our new cappers. as They're really amazing, and they're going to do a great job for you guys out there. It's definitely worth the buy. That being said... Starting off in the first fight, Span versus Alvey. The opening odds were actually Span minus 400, Sam Alvey plus 325. And right now, looking over at the Don Best screen, we're currently looking at about an average price is about minus 400 plus 310. So it looks like it's staying about ballpark here. There's two-way action coming in on the, on the fights in general at most sports books here. Um, a lot of people are going to be throwing Span in parlays for sure, um, as a lot of people are kind of fading Alvey. And, you know, I, I don't blame people. I mean, if you're looking at – the career trajectories for both guys right now, for sure. Alvi's been suffering through some defeats here. I mean, this is by far the worst losing streak he's had. He's on a three-fight skid, and if he loses this fight, he's probably out the door. The UFC will probably cut him. That being said, I think he's always been underrated. Um, he's a pretty solid fighter. Not the flashiest fighter you're going to see, but, man, the guy has knockout power on the feet. He's got usually solid takedown defense, and he might makes life miserable for most people that he fights. So this is not going to be an easy fight for Span, especially considering Span's a bit chinny, and he has been throughout his career. But that said, if you're looking at Span, I mean, he's on a roll right now. I believe he's won seven fights in a row, um, all against solid competition. Uh, the guy's definitely improving his ground game, but he's also showing us some really good striking to go along with that. And he's got knockout power. He's getting confidence right now. He's training at a good camp. Um, and I mean, he's constantly improving. Like I said, fight by fight, you can see the improvements in his game. 
So I think it's his fight to win or lose. Obviously, the UFC kind of matched it that way as well. Um, you know, again, Span wins his fight over a quality, savvy vet like Alvy. He's going to keep on moving up the ranks here. So this is a big fight for him. I think he probably does get it done. But am I willing to lay minus 400? Absolutely not. I think, again, I mean, a lot of people were kind of underestimating his chin at times. And Alvy has knockout power. I mean, even if he's losing the fight, I mean, he could just blast you and put you out. So I don't think it's worth laying the chalk here. I wouldn't even put him in a parlay. Obviously, if there's no value, there's no value. You kind of just go away from it and pass. So this fight should be a pretty fun one because more than likely somebody's getting finished in this spot. And I'm going to pick Span to win the fight. But if you're betting this, I would stay away from it, honestly, because there's no value there. And it's kind of a risky bet. So my pick is going to be Ryan Span to defeat Sam Alvey. But again, be cautious at the betting window here. As Nick mentioned, Span is a bit chinny. I know that he's been on fire lately. He's looked tremendous inside the octagon, um, especially those last two fights with finishes against uh, Lil Nog and uh, Devin Clark. But you have to remember back when he was on Contender Series, or, or he uh, really did not show up, and he got finished by Carl Roberson by knockout with elbows in 20 seconds. So... It's very possible that if Sam Alvey finds his chin, he can put him out. Alvey has serious knockout power. And when he faces guys that are a bit chinny, uh, he knows and he, he goes for, uh, the kill there. And, and if he can connect, it's over. That being said, uh, Span is better than Alvey pretty much everywhere. He has, he pushes a higher tempo. He's got the physique. He's got the length. He's got the size. He's got the strength. Um, he's a better grappler. I mean, he's he's better than Alvy everywhere. And he hits just as hard as Alvy. It's just the only difference is um, he can't really take a good punch. So if Alvy connects with something nasty, he could absolutely end it out of nowhere. But other than that, Span should be fighting circles around Alvy. I mean, I just don't think the move up to light heavyweight was a really good career choice for Alvy. I mean, he's fought at welterweight before in his career. I think he was doing fine at middleweight. Um, and maybe he was hoping that he could take on some guys that were just a little bit less athletic and slower, but uh, he's facing good athletes, good, powerful, strong guys, and they're punishing him right now. So uh, I think that's what Span does here, unless uh, Alvy lands that one big shot. So my pick is going to be Span. Now, dropping all the way down to the featherweight division, we have Charles Rosa, who is 12 and 3, taking on Bryce Mitchell, who is 12 and 0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Mitchell opened up minus 150, the comeback of Rosa plus 130. And right now, looking over at the Don Best screen, we are seeing Mitchell probably an average of around minus 160, the comeback plus 135 on Rosa. The line did skyrocket up. A lot of early action did come in on Mitchell. And, you know, that was more public action a little bit as well. So the line got bet up. Of course. I mean, I'm not really surprised by that. Mitchell is kind of the one that's, again, on the rise. He's the one that's uh, been a little bit more flashy lately. He's the one that's improving fight by fight. So I'm not surprised the early action came in his way. Rosa, on the other hand, has been a little bit inconsistent. He hasn't been in the cage as much. Um, I think a lot of the newer fans kind of don't know much about him as well. And again, that inconsistency kind of, I think, sits in a lot of people's minds there. So I'm not surprised by that, but at the same time, now we're seeing some action come back in on Rosa. I think that's going to be a mixture of uh, more sharp action coming in Rosa's way as well, because I think it's probably the right side. In my opinion, this fight should be closer to a pick'em, maybe a slight lean towards Mitchell based on what he's performed 
as of late, how he's performed overall. I mean, he's looking good. He's 25 years old. And again, he's definitely on the rise and he's got all sorts of confidence right now going for him. But it is the way these guys match up is, is where it's all at. And this is going to be a very close fight. I mean, I actually believe Rosa's probably ahead of Mitchell a little bit in regards to the striking aspect of things. It'll be fairly competitive. It'll go back and forth on, on the feet, I'm sure. But it's also going to go back and forth, I think, on the ground because that's where Rosa usually excels at as well. That's Mitchell's strong point overall. So I could see both of these guys are getting top positions, scrambling out of bad spots at times, and this being an outstanding type of grappling match. So to me, this is more of a coin flip fight on who's going to win this. I think it depends. Again, leaps and bounds of Mitchell's improvements, and it, it depends what kind of version of Rosa we're seeing right now. I think Rosa's definitely been battle-tested throughout his career thus far, fighting really good quality competition, and he's going to be ready. I don't think there's anything Mitchell throws at him that he's not going to be prepared for. So to be honest with you, even at the current price, again, it's bounced up and down. I'm going to actually pick Rosa. I think it's a dog or pass situation for sure here, and I just like the way Rosa matches up against Mitchell. I think it will be a competitive fight. It probably hits the scorecards. I think these guys cannot kind of negate each other on the ground. I don't think they sub each other, so I think it probably hits the scorecards. We're going to see a, a very competitive 29-28 type of decision and I think it's probably going to be Rosa edging it out. Now, again, he's kind of the hometown guy as well in Florida. Um, not that the crowd's going to really impact it here because obviously the fans are not allowed being there, but I still think he's going to be a little bit more in his comfort zone. I think he's going to be hungry to get back in there and prove that he still belongs at the top of the food chain, so to speak. And I think he's going to be really hungry also to pick off uh, an undefeated uh, fighter like Mitchell. I know Mitchell did suffer a loss on the ultimate fighter, but I mean, his pro record is 12 and 0 and Rosa is going to love to be the first one to put that official loss on his resume as well. So a lot to like about Rosa in this spot, dogger pass, like I said, and I'm actually going to pick Rosa to pull off the slight upset win over Mitchell. And I actually am going to come in here and agree with you. Um, Bryce Mitchell is super talented. I mean, that twister he pulled off in his last fight was incredible. Um, one of the, I think only two that's ever been pulled off inside the octagon, and he's a spectacular grappler. He really is. I mean, almost all of his wins are by submission. He is great when the fight goes to the floor, but he's really not that impressive on the feet. He's a bit wild. Um, he throws a lot of spinning attacks. Um, he doesn't throw enough. And Rosa's by far the more active striker. So for however long this fight stays standing, I think Rosa will be getting the edge on the judges' scorecards. And then when it does go to the floor... Um, I think this is going to be a very competitive ground fight. I personally, I think Mitchell is the slightly better wrestler and Rosa is the better overall submission artist. So this is going to be a real back and forth scrap when it hits the canvas. And uh I think I kind of see it playing out where Mitchell will be on top a little bit more, but I can totally see Rosa sweeping him. I can see Rosa putting Mitchell in bad positions, throwing up submissions. So, um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think this has the potential to be an extremely entertaining ground fight or a terrible stand-up fight. Um, if it's on the feet, I definitely favor Rosa. If it's on the ground, I think it's going to be extremely competitive, maybe slightly favor Mitchell. But I, I think when you combine the two, um, I just have to side with the experience here. You know, Rosa is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mitchell, Mitchell's not yet. I know that that doesn't always mean everything. Not everybody gets uh, promoted in their belt system as quickly as others. But I am just really think that, uh, especially, you know, with Mitchell losing to Katona back on tough, I think that there's still a lot of room for growth with him. And he hasn't quite reached that level where he's ready to take on some of the mid to upper tier um, 
uh, fighters in the featherweight division. And yeah, Rose is not a world beater at 145, but he's definitely good enough to be kind of a gatekeeper. And I think that he's going to uh, keep uh, Bryce Mitchell from passing through that gate towards a, a top contender, at least for now at this point in his career. So maybe give him another year or two. And I think Mitchell wins, can win this fight. But I think right now I'm going to lean Charles Rosa as well. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have Vicente Luque, who is 17, seven and one taking on Nico price, who is 14 and three. And this is a rematch. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Luke opened minus 250, the comeback on price at plus 210. And right now, looking over at the Donbass screen, we are checking out Luke at around minus 290, the comeback around plus 235 or so for price. So line margins have tightened up a little bit. And again, there's two-way action coming in on this fight as well, but more so going in towards Luke and I, and I believe that. I mean, a lot of the sharper betters came in and kind of gobbled up that price right away, and that's what drove the line up a little bit, and that's probably the way to go. But where it sits right now it makes it a lot more difficult because the value is probably gone. And I'm saying that because I really think Price is a very dangerous competitor. I mean, we see that time and time again. I think he's kind of, you know, has that kind of freakish knockout ability. I mean, even if he, the guy's on his back, we've seen it with Hammerfish. We've seen it with an upkick recently as well. So he's got that kind of finishing capability. I, I don't think he probably does get it done against Luke. Again, Luke is just simply the better fighter. I mean, if you look at their striking, they, these guys already fought before a few years back. So, um, and Luke was able to get the W there. And I mean, he looked good doing so. I mean, he was able to pick uh, Price apart. They had their moments both on the feet back and forth a little bit, but Luke was definitely the better fighter there on the feet, and obviously he's the better fighter on the ground as well. So regardless of where this, this fight takes place, Luke should win the fight. Now that said, again, laying minus almost 300 or so, I don't think there's any value left in that, and Price is dangerous enough where, man, I mean, he could definitely land something and, and put uh, Luke out, and we're seeing that kind of freakish kind of knockout power from him. Now Luke has also absorbed a lot of punishment. He's been in some wars lately. Um, and again, with everything going on with the COVID-19 virus and the situation right now, we're not sure the level of training these guys are getting and when what kind of camps they're having. So you got to kind of keep that in mind as well. So don't lay a lot of chalk on this card. Probably not the smartest idea. But that being said, I think it's Luke, his fight to win. I think he's, like I said, just a level above price overall. And I would be surprised if he loses this fight again. Now, again, at the betting window, I would probably pass at this point. Even though it's tempting to to bet Luke or maybe even put him into parlays, it's probably best to just kind of stay away from this fight and enjoy it because it should be another good one. I mean, this is going to be an action-packed fight. There's no other way Price fights, and Luke brings it every time as well. So I'm expecting more of what we see in kind of the first time around, and we might even see a carbon copy where Luke uh, stuns Price and then finishes him on the floor as well. So my pick is Luke. I'm fairly confident that he does win. But again, laying minus 300 or so is probably not a good idea in this spot. Yeah, and I think this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, Luke is the superior fighter technically on just about every level. He's throws more volume. He has better striking technique. He mixes things up better. He's uh, better at using range. He's better um, in terms of the ground game. Uh, the last time they fought, he was really lighting Price up on the feet and then finished him on the ground. So it was a perfect performance by by Luke there and I mean he's just clearly the superior fighter that being said um, I've seen a word to describe Nico Price and I think it's very fitting uh, they say he creates chaos um, I mean the guy is just not that technically sound but he's 
aggressive. He's an, he's athletic. He's quick. He's powerful. He's dangerous. And, uh, you've seen it in his fights. Um, there's been times where he's been losing and he just pulls it out, uh, by just pulling off some crazy maneuver, um, against Randy Brown. Brown was on top of him dropping punches and he just starts hammer fisting him from bottom really aggressively, knocks him out from bottom against James Vick. Vick had him on, was on t- top position against him on the ground. That's Vick's world. Lands an upkick, knocks Vick out cold. So, um, you know, this guy is capable of finishing fights at any moment um, from all different sorts of uh, directions. Like, you just can't see it coming. So, I think uh, if he's going to win, then it's going to be some crazy out-of-nowhere attack that Luke doesn't see coming, and those are the ones that knock you out. Um, and you do have to remember since this fight, yes, Luke has had a nice run and he's faced some very good fighters, but he's also taken a lot of damage. I mean, that brawl against Brian Barberina took, can take years off your life. That's how much damage they took in that fight. And he got rocked in that fight. Um, and then he also took a lot of damage against Steven Thompson and got rocked in that fight too. So, um, you know, he's, he's had a lot of wear and tear since these guys fought. Luke is still the superior fighter. I'm still going to pick him, but I think the likelihood that Price connects with something and might put him out has gone up a little bit. So my pick is Luke, but just be careful out there because Price has a tendency of uh, pulling these things out of his butt a little bit. And he definitely has the power to, to pull it off as well. Now, moving on to the ESPN preliminary card in the middleweight division, we have uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who is 26 and 8, taking on Uriah Hall, who is 15 and 9. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Jacare Souza opened up minus 135, the comeback on Uriah Hall plus 115. And right now, looking over at the Don Best screen, we're seeing about an average of minus 125 for Jacare, the comeback plus 105 on Hall. So, line margins again. Tighten up a little bit in most places, and there is two-way action coming in on this fight as well. A lot of support out there for Hall, um, but a lot of support coming back in for Jacare as well. So a lot of the books are going to definitely have two-way action. I don't think it's going to be a big result for them either way. And this is a tough fight because you have your classic stri- striker versus grappler matchup here. Of course, Hall is the striker. Uh, more so, that's what he's known for. I mean, the guy's been fighting like a warrior as of late as well. I mean, I, I think he's had his ups and downs, especially as of late overall. But I'll tell you what, he's he's coming to fight. Um, I think his camp change recently probably did him a lot of good. It's kind of rejuvenated his career a little bit as well. He's, he's got a little bit of confidence coming into this fight. And Jacques Ray, we've seen kind of, uh, you know, kind of on the decline of his career. I mean, he's 40 years old. Um, the guy's definitely the better mixed martial artist, though, but he's obviously more known for his grappling ability, right? He's the one that's just one of the best BJJ practitioners ever to grace the octagon. I mean, that's how good and elite this guy is. There's not many that are, that are better than him if ever. I mean, he's just top notch. I mean, the guy is uh, just a phenom and, and just a world-class grappler and, and not, again, you're not going to outgrapple the guy for sure. But that being said, I mean, the takedowns have come a lot less lately and it, it's been harder for him to get the fight to the floor. Now, he has improved. He's one of the best I think grapplers that made the transition into striking, his striking games improved so much through the years that he's become a threat even on the feet in most cases, right? Now, again, I think he's kind of losing a step a little bit, so he's more hittable. Um, we're seeing him slow down as the fight progresses a little bit too. His cardio is kind of suffering a bit, um, and, you know, and he's becoming a lot more chinny. I mean, at age 40, it, it, that's to be expected, I guess you would say, right? So 
this fight, if it stays up on the feet, I mean, there's a lot to like for Uriah Hall here. He's going to be the longer fighter, and I think, obviously, he's going to be the one that's more of a threat on, overall on the feet. But Jacare still has that punching power that he can definitely clip Hall and hurt him and do some damage. And if he does and he pounces, all it takes is one takedown from Jacare to end this fight because I think that's how good of a grappler he is elite level. I know Hall's been pretty good. He's he obviously a tough, very difficult guy to submit um, throughout his career. He's been that way, but I think Jacques Ray is just a different level. And if he gets that takedown, Hall's in a world of trouble and Jacques Ray is probably going to finish him. So I'm expecting Jacques Ray to eventually get that takedown. And once he does, I think it's going to be a wrap. And I think he's going to end up tapping Hall up relatively quickly. So for me, I like this fight. I just think, you know, you can't put a lot of faith in either guy at this point of their careers because Jacques Ray is hitting that decline spot, like I said, and I don't think that's a good thing to kind of go into this fight against a dynamic striker at times like Hall can be. And especially, like I said, he's been fighting like a warrior as of late. So this is going to be an interesting fight, but I still have to side with a better mixed martial artist. And by far, that's Jacques Ray Souza. So I, I do hope he wins this fight because I think he should kind of win this fight more times than not. And if this fight was a couple years ago, Jacques Ray would be a huge favorite. So, I mean, you're seeing that indicated in the line right now, why it's even close. So I think the line's a little low, to be honest with you. It's Jacques Ray or pass. Um, for me personally. So I'm going to pick Jacare to win. But again, I mean, I am a little bit concerned because we could see this fight stay upright if Jacare can't get it down. I mean, he could be in some trouble here. But that said, you got to side with the better fighter. I think Jacare gets it and he, he gets the win here. So I think it's Jacare Souza for me and I'm going to pick him to win. And on paper, Souza definitely is the superior fighter. I mean, he hits hard on the feet. He's still a tremendous athlete despite being 40 years old. He's the best grappler in the middleweight division. Um, so if this goes to the floor, even though Hall has never been submitted, I still favor Souza to either get a TKO from top position or uh, a submission. That being said, uh, Souza definitely is slowing down. I mean, he's really only landed like one or two takedowns in his last four fights combined. Um, his ground game, you know, it doesn't quite have that same explosion and getting it to the floor, uh, using his athleticism. Um, he's had a little bit more trouble controlling fighters. Again, he's been facing some very good fighters. I mean, you look, he's faced Weidman, he's facing Gasolum. So, um, you know, it's no joke who Suze has been put in the cage with, uh, Hermanson and, uh, Blockowitz, uh, at light heavyweight. So, um, I think, uh, that clearly returning back to middleweight is the right choice. Um, but also, um, that Sousa is a little bit vulnerable here. You know, Uriah Hall isn't the most, uh, terrifying guy. I mean, he's terrifying in terms of knockout ability, but in terms of winning decisions, um, he doesn't really fight at a very high pace. Um, so I think Sousa will be okay there, but Hall has a ton of power. He's crazy athletic. He can pull off moves to knock people out from any angle at any moment. So uh, he's extremely gifted striker. And uh, so I'm definitely concerned there. And um, Souza also has trouble dealing with people that have good technical boxing skills. I mean, Souza was losing to Weidman. Uh, he was kind of getting lit up a little bit and clearly on his way to losing a decision before he knocked him out. Um, he got outworked by Hermanson. He, uh, got outworked by Gastelum. Um, it was a close fight, but he still did. So, you know, I'm definitely concerned, uh, about Souza here. I mean, he really has not put on a very good performance since, uh, 
the, the finish against Derek Brunson, uh, in his rematch with Brunson. So, um, you know, Sousa could be vulnerable here. Um, that being said, I do think that he gets this fight to the floor. I don't think he screws around on the feet too long, but if he does, uh, Hall definitely can knock him out. If he throws some good, clean, straight punches and utilizes his good boxing skills, um, I think he can take advantage of Souza because Souza kind of more relies on having power and speed. And, uh, I think, uh, in terms of technique, um, Hall is way ahead of him there. So, uh, Souza needs to get this to the floor. If he screws around on the feet too long, um, I think that he's playing into Hall's hands. Um, Hall is a bit chinny. So if Souza does connect with something nasty, he could put him out, but, I really think the, the stand-up favors Hall. Um, but, you know, this is an MMA fight, and if it goes to the floor, I favor Souza just immensely. So uh, I think he does drag this to the ground. I think he plays it smart. You know, this is a very winnable fight for Souza as long as he has a good fight IQ and sets up a good takedown. But uh, if he doesn't, he could lose. But I'm going to pick Souza. I think that this is a fight... I do think he's nearing the end of his career, but I think that he has enough left in the tank to pull this out. But I would not be shocked if Uriah Hall knocks him out. Now, dropping all the way down to the women's strawweight division, we have Carla Esparza, who is 15 and 6, taking on Michelle Watterson, who is 17 and 7. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Esparza open minus 125, the comeback on Watterson at plus 105. And right now what we're looking at over at the Don Best screen is an average of about minus 150 for Esparza, the comeback plus 130 on Watterson. So line obviously got worse for Esparza. One of our cappers, Josh P, he gave it out as a free play. He, he was able to grab minus 136 or so on Esparza. So you guys can keep that in mind a little bit. But again, at minus 150, it becomes a little bit more difficult to bet. In this spot, because I think it should be a fairly competitive fight, but um, there's going to be two-way action on this fight as well, and I think there's going to be sharp action hitting both sides of this fight as well, because I think what you see here is as the price gets worse for Esparza, I mean, there there might be some value opening up on Watterson, and I'm saying that because Watterson is the more complete mixed martial artist here. I mean, I think she has got a better overall diverse skill set on the feet. She can mix things up a lot better. Obviously, it's highlighted by her kicking game, but she's also probably the better submission artist on the ground as well. That probably gets trumped, though, by Esparza's wrestling. I mean, that's where everything kind of unfolds here in this fight. Esparza's boxing, make no mistake, in my opinion, is getting better. Um, she's definitely showed a lot of improvements in that. She's got a little bit of power. I mean, she's got some zip on her punches for sure. So she's going to end up landing and doing having some success on the feet as well against Watterson. But I think, again, Watterson kind of has a more diverse skill set. So the longer it stays up, I think Watterson can mix things up and kind of make it a difficult fight. But as far as it's not stupid, she's going to stick to her bread and butter. She's one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler, obviously, in, in all of uh, – Watterson's career that she's facing here. Esparza's going to get the takedowns more than likely. And when she does, she's going to have the ability to control and grind this fight out. And that's why people are coming in on Esparza and, and kind of laying a little bit of that chalk. Um, but again, as it progresses and the line kind of climbs up a little bit, you got to kind of maybe look to pass this fight or, or possibly look at Watterson. Again, I understand both scenarios here because this is a high level ladies fight. And more times than not, when we see 
the fight hit the scorecards. And this one, I think the overall total is two and a half over minus 500 or so. So that tells you there's a big indication that this probably does go to the scorecards. And competitive lady fights, I mean, it's going to be a split decision type of fight if it does hit the scorecards. But that said, the edge definitely goes to Esparza, and I'm going to pick her to win this fight as well because I think wrestling does come into play here, and she basically grinds Watterson out. Watterson's best chance to victory, I think, I mean, she could maybe steal a split decision, a controversial one, and probably if she does steal it because I think Esparza should edge out the rounds clear enough that she the nod will go to her. But I think Watterson's best path to victory is probably taking Esparza's back or maybe even trying to pull up uh, pull off a sub off her back with an arm bar or triangle type of submission. But I think more than likely it's a rear naked choke. If she can get her back, she probably has Esparza in trouble. But that's not going to be easy. Esparza's submission defense overall has gotten a lot better, and I think she's very game underground in all areas, in all aspects. So Really, this is Esparza's fight to win or lose. It depends on what game plan she implements, and I think it's probably going to be the right one. So I'm expecting Esparza to wrestle. I expect her to control the tempo of this fight and get the takedowns and probably grind out a very close competitive, maybe even split decision type of win. So my pick is Esparza, and the wrestling should come in handy here. Yeah, Watterson is the more well-rounded of the two fighters. She's the better striker. I think she's a better submission artist. Um, but... You know, this is more than just being a well-rounded, uh, a fighter. It's more about, you know, how good is your best skill? And Watterson's wrestling and takedown defense just is not up to par. Uh, she gets taken down in almost all of her fights. Um, granted, she's very good off of her back. She's dangerous with submissions, but, uh, as far as has never been submitted and she's by far the best wrestler that Watterson's ever faced. So. With people taking Watterson down, even Ioana took her down. So I think uh, it's only a matter of time until Esparza puts Watterson on her back, and she's just going to keep her there. Um, she's great at top control. She has some pretty good ground and pound. She wears people down. Um, on the feet, yeah, Watterson's going to have the edge there, but Esparza has uh, made some strides in her stand-up. You know, she's not a world beater on the feet, but uh, she's not embarrassing herself up there like she used to. Um, she's actually landed a couple decent shots. She actually hurt Claudio Gadelia on the feet. So um, she's not a complete joke on the feet. So I think that she'll be on the feet enough to earn Watterson's respect and then boom, change levels, put Watterson on her back and keep her there. Uh, the only thing I'm really concerned about is perhaps Watterson could reverse positions and get on top. And we really haven't seen Esparza. And Esparza really has not performed well in that situation like she did against Suarez. But again, Watterson's not the wrestler that Suarez was either. So uh, I think uh, Esparza puts Watterson on her back and keeps her there for the most part and wins a decision. Um, but if she can't get the takedowns, it gets a lot more interesting. Now, moving up to the heavyweight division, we have Fabricio Verdum, who is 23-8-1, taking on Alexei Olenek, who is 58-13-1. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Verdum open minus 230, the comeback in Olenek at plus 170. And right now, looking over at the Donbass screen, we're seeing basically consensus consensus uh, line of about minus 320 for Verdum, the comeback on Olenek at plus 260. Interesting fight for sure. I mean, I'm not surprised at all. The early sharp action came in on Verdum and it drove the line up to around minus 300 or so. I mean, that obviously Olenek's best path to victory typically is his Ezekiel chokes. I mean, he's a master at that choke. 
phenomenal. I mean, he gets, I mean, he, we've seen it from all sorts of positions. Even off his back, he can hit that sucker. I mean, even on the feet. So that Ezekiel joke for Olenek is, is just money. But is he going to get that against Verdum? I don't think so. I mean, Verdum's one of the best grapplers we've seen to grace the octagon as well. We were talking about Jacare. I mean, you got to put Verdum in that category as well. So these are two elite level just head and shoulders above most people when it comes to the grappling world. And Verdum is that guy. So he's probably the best grappler in a heavyweight division of all time. So is he going to get submitted by Lennox? I doubt it. Uh, so I understand, again, stylistically, it's kind of a bad matchup. Verdum's probably the better striker overall at this point. Well, not probably. He is, right? But there's definitely some concerns here, and I'm not willing to lay that chalk on Verdum where it's at now. So the value is already gone. I mean, the people that came in and took that early line at minus 230, they already took all the value out in my opinion, because Olenek is dangerous enough on the feet where he can land one of those big bombs and hurt Verdum. I mean, we've seen Verdum be out now. I mean, he was Osada. He got, you know, obviously he had some time off because Osada busted him and he had to take some time off, right? He's not getting any younger. Neither guy's getting any younger, obviously, in, in this case. So, I mean, it's it's a battle of kind of the older fighters, you know, they're both 42 years old. Um, they're definitely going to be on the decline of their careers here soon. But I mean, obviously they're special and talented athletes to be able to compete at this level still at age 42. That's something to be said, but am I willing to trust Verdum's chin at this point? I mean, you're going to have Olenek probably wanting to keep this fight up and maybe throwing these big bombs, trying to catch that chin of Verdum and putting him out. So that's my concern here more than anything else. I think that if Verdum plays around on the feet a little bit and he doesn't take Olenek serious, I mean, he could definitely be in some trouble here, but overall, again, Verdum is the better striker. He's by far the better grappler just in, in general on the ground for sure. So I think this is a tough fight for Olenek to win here. I mean, I, you know, there's not really a lot of passive victory for him where Verdum can obviously um, probably submit him on the ground. If he goes there, he can outstrike him on the feet and he can win on the scorecard. So there's a lot to like about Verdum here, but I don't trust the fact that he's been out for so long. I don't trust the fact that he's not getting any younger. And I don't trust the fact that he's going to probably have to stand up for a little bit with Olenek and Olenek is going to be throwing bombs. So that said, am I willing to lay minus 300? Absolutely not. I think it's another one of these fights that you have to be disciplined and kind of stay away from it. I know a lot of people are throwing Verdum into parlays. I can understand that. I personally will not do that. Um, but I do think he wins, and I hope he does win because he's clearly the better fighter. I mean, this guy was heavyweight champ not too long ago. I mean, Stipe was the one to, to, to knock him out and take that title from him. But before that, Verdum was fighting at an all-time high level. I mean, the guy was phenomenal. So we can't forget that. I just don't know if that's the Verdum we're going to see stepping in here you know, in 2020. So that's my concern. So my pick is Verdum. He should definitely win this fight. I'm just not confident enough to lay that chalk. Yeah. In terms of grappling, which is Olenek's biggest strength, I mean, Verdum is just the better grappler here. He's uh, more dynamic. He's more flexible. He's just more skilled in terms of uh, grappling. I mean, Verdum is, uh, you know, an ADCC world class level grappler and Olenek is super talented and he can pull off that Ezekiel choke against a lot of people, but, um, not against Verdum. I mean, he would really have to, that would be a massive shock. That would be the biggest shock on the whole card for me was if Olenek submits Verdum. Um, that being said, I would not be shocked if Olenek somehow knocks out Verdum. You know, Verdum is a little chinny. Uh, he's been knocked out several times in his career. Uh, Stipe knocked him out, you know, impressively to, to take the title from him. Dos Santos knocked him out way back in the day in his first UFC run. So, uh, that being said, Verdum is also the better striker. You know, he's put in, uh, the work with, uh, Rafael Car uh, Cordero and, uh, he's, you know, got some excellent Muay Thai skills. Um, you know, he's outstruck some very good fighters in the past. So, uh, on the feet, Verdum should be the better fighter as well. 
So realistically, the only way Olenek wins is if he kind of bum rushes him like he did to start the Overeem fight and actually connects and hurts him. And if he does that, he can win. But other than that, I see Verdum winning on the ground. I see Verdum winning on the feet. I think uh, Verdum is just as powerful. He can, and Olenek doesn't have the greatest chin, so Verdum can knock him out too. So uh, other than landing that one big shot, uh, this is definitely Verdum's fight to lose. Like Nick said, the only real thing I'm concerned about other than Verdum's chin is the long layoff because of the suspension. And he is getting up there in years, but Olenek's old too. I mean, they're both in their 40s, I'm pretty sure. So um I'm going to side with Verdum. He's just by far the more talented fighter. He should win this unless Olenek lands that big bomb. Now... Moving on to the main event of the preliminary card, we have a rematch in the lightweight division between Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is 36 and 14, taking on Anthony Showtime Pettis, who is 22 and 10. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Pettis opened minus 150, the comeback on Cerrone at plus 120. And right now, what we're seeing on the Donbass screen is currently Pettis around minus 140, the comeback on Cerrone around plus 120. Now, again, all these fights, I mean, this is, first of all, let me say this, I haven't said it yet, but this is a stat card from top to bottom. And all these fights have kind of been obviously supposed to take place on the 18th. So there's there are some different opening odds from back on the 18th than there are now, right? So this is kind of when the odds came back out, sort of speak. And and we've seen these odds actually a lot closer. It was closer to a pick fight at one time. And now again, it's kind of inflated to where Pettis is around minus 140 or so. So there's been some two-way action on this fight as well. But more so as of late, it's been more on Anthony Pettis. That said, I think what we're seeing in 2020, you know, let's be honest here. They're two declining fighters. I mean, these guys were both top of the food chain, top of the lightweight divisions for a long time. But we're not seeing those fighters anymore. I mean, we're seeing guys that are, you know, 37 years old for Cerrone, 33 years old for Pettis. Um, even though Cerrone's the older fighter, I think Pettis is showing a lot of decline in his own right. I mean, he looks like he'd be about 37 right now as well. And again, I got nothing but love for Anthony Pettis and his whole career. I mean, the guy's been a phenomenal UFC fighter and just fun to watch, both these guys. And of course, what can you say negative about Cerrone? I mean, the guy steps in on short notice time and time again, and he's had such a successful UFC career. So I love both these guys. I mean, these guys are two tremendous fighters, and this is an awesome matchup, to be honest with you. I know they fought, you know, what, seven years ago, and Pettis made quick work of Cerrone, really. I mean, and just the kick to the body, the liver shots, man. I mean, those body kicks were just vicious, and that's what folded Cerrone over. It just put him, got him in some serious trouble, obviously. So if he can really repeat that performance and kind of go to that body where we've seen Cerrone be vulnerable. I mean, time and time again, it's since that fight as well. I mean, he's been in trouble to the body and that's what fighters have been able to, to really take advantage of that. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be very hard for Pettis to kind of implement that same game plan. I think Cerrone's obviously going to be game here in this spot. And I don't think we're going to see it kind of play out like that. And to be honest with you, I like what I've seen, even though the Cerrone's on the three fight losing skid. If you look at the three fighters that he's faced, it's, it's basically, you know, title contenders. I mean, McGregor, uh, Gaethje. So, uh, it, you know, Ferguson, that, those kind of fighters. And, and not that I'm taking anything away from uh, Pettis. You know, Pettis has fought obviously really good competition as of late as well, but I've honestly been more impressed by Cerrone than Pettis. I mean, if you look back, Pettis hasn't had a great fight for many years, even though he's, you know, won a couple in between here and there. I mean, he just hasn't looked great to me. So I really think if Cerrone can weather that early storm and Pettis can't finish him in round one, then Cerrone's going to probably start taking over round two and round three. I don't know what it is, but Pettis' cardio is getting a little bit worse in my opinion. 
And I think as this fight progresses, I think Cerrone's a little bit, obviously, of the better wrestler. I think the ground game, they both have definitely some dangerous attributes. I mean, you got to be careful because we've seen Pettis being able to, you know, hit you with an armbar real quick out of nowhere and get the fight ending and ended. And, or we've seen that nasty guillotine choke that he has as well. Cerrone is an amazing grappler in his own right. I think he's got the better wrestling and he's able to probably get the takedowns here along the way. And if he gets um, Pettis's back, he could probably end the fight there as well. So for me, I've been, even though he's, you know, coming off three straight losses, I think Cerrone is actually in a better spot in his career. He's the older fighter, but I, I still like some of his performances before this little losing skid. But can you have a lot of faith in either guy right now? I think Cerrone's chin is obviously getting worse a little bit. And you could say a, a little bit of Pettis. Pettis' chin's really, it's been okay overall, but I mean, he's, he's kind of given up some bad spots. He's, he's just not fighting like the Anthony Pettis that we've seen in his prime and that we're used to seeing. I mean, it's evident for me as well. So, that all being said, I really think that Cerrone can win this fight. I mean, he just has to weather that early storm. And I think as we go in round two, round three, even if he loses round one, he can start taking this fight over and probably get the win. So I'm going to go against the grain right now. I mean, more people are coming in on Anthony Pettis. I don't really agree with it. I don't trust it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, like I said, both these guys honestly are capable of winning this fight. But for me, it's a dogger pass situation here as well. I think I am more impressed with what Cerrone's done. And I think he could probably weather that storm and get back on track and get a W here over Anthony Pettis. I mean, he can redeem himself. This matchup was made because they're both great fighters, kind of, you know, looking to get back on track here for sure. But I think it's also a redemption fight for Cerrone. And he's going to look to get that um, W back that he, he suffered that defeat against Pettis for seven years ago. So a lot more kind of riding on this fight for Cerrone, I think, than Pettis. I mean, both these guys need a win, don't get me wrong, but I still think that redemption factor is here. And if if Cerrone's ever going to beat him, it's probably this version of Anthony Pettis. So I like Cerrone in this spot. It's dog or pass, and I'm going to pick Cerrone to win. And you know what? I'm going to side with Cerrone as well. I mean, neither guy has been fighting particularly well lately. I mean, they're both entering this fight on major skids. Uh, that being said, you look at who they fought, and Cerrone's been facing the best of the best of the best. And yeah, he came up short um, against them, but at least it was against all three opponents, top five in the world. Um, Pettis, on the other hand, um, I just have not been impressed. I mean, even when he wins, I haven't been impressed because uh, the, the Thompson fight, I just, I still feel that was super fluky. I mean, yeah, it was a skillful Superman punch, but I mean, that was... That he landed that nine, after nine minutes and 55 seconds of getting the absolute crap kicked out of him by Stephen Thompson. So, uh, I just feel like that Pettis is on a bigger downward spiral than Cerrone, if, uh, if that makes sense. Um, uh, I just, I have not liked what I've seen out of him. I mean, he's, he's just been getting the crap kicked out of him. And, uh, uh, Cerrone, on the other hand, before the loss to, uh, the losses to Ferguson, Gaethje, and McGregor, he had some quality performances against Iaquinta, winning a decision there, uh, finishing, uh, Alexander Hernandez, a really talented up and comer in the lightweight division, and then obviously the, the performance against Mike Perry. So, uh, you know, he still seems like a guy that can be competitive against, uh, top opponents. Maybe not the top of the top. But uh, Cerrone still definitely is capable of beating top 15 guys. And I'm just not sure Anthony Pettis can right now. So I feel like Pettis has just really gone downhill a lot quicker. So I'm going to side. Even though Pettis landed that beautiful body kick and finished Cerrone the first time they fought, I feel like uh, 
ever since that loss to Dos Anjos, Pettis just has not been the same guy. He really has not had a great performance inside the octagon since he beat Gilbert Melendez back in, what was it, 2014? So I think, uh, you know, Cerrone just still has a little bit more left in the tank. Yeah, he's, you know, got embarrassed his last couple of fights, but I think, uh, that he can definitely rise to the occasion here. This is, he's got some motivation. He wants to redeem himself after the, you know, avenge that loss. And I think he will. I think, uh, Cerrone just is going to be more aggressive. Uh, the, the game plan is out on how to beat Anthony Pettis. You just, you put pressure on him. Uh, you don't give him space to land all his crazy attacks and kicks. Um, and I think Cerrone also is, uh, could get him on the ground and, uh, is the better wrestler. Um, and possibly the better submission fighter too. So, uh, I think that this is a very winnable fight for Cerrone and I think he pulls it out. I think, uh, you know, he is going to be my pick. I think, uh, he could not just win, but maybe even finish Pettis along the way. Now, moving on to the pay-per-view main card, we have a heavyweight contest featuring Greg Hardy, who's five and two and Jorgen DeCastro, who is six and zero. Oh. Now, Nick, what's the MMA odds makers perspective on this one? Hardy open minus 190, the comeback on DeCastro at plus 165. And right now what we're seeing over the Don Best screen is minus 200 for Hardy, the comeback around plus 170 for DeCastro here. This is an interesting fight. I mean, part of me, especially early on, was definitely leaning a little bit more towards DeCastro. I think that this is going to be a difficult fight for Hardy. I think DeCastro is probably a little bit further along in his MMA career than Hardy. But that being said, looking back at Hardy and some of his performances of, as of late, especially in his last loss to Volkov, I mean, Volkov is a top-tier heavyweight. And I think that actually he Hardy impressed me in that loss. I mean, to hang in there with the top-tier guys, especially – you know, this young in his career, Hardy is definitely a special athlete. I mean, you don't become an all pro football player and defensive player like Hardy was for no reason. I mean, he's definitely always had that kind of natural gifted athlete type of body and frame and, and just athleticism that you love to see because it, it converts obviously well and fast into the MMA world. And what you're seeing since he's been working with American top team and getting quality training, I mean, you see some of those improvements. He's becoming a little bit more of a patient fighter. Obviously I don't have to tell you about how vicious his knockout power can definitely be. And he's going to have some size here over to Castro as well. I just think it's a difficult fight to bet right now because I mean, originally I thought it was a dog or pass situation. I'm probably going to stay away from it at this point. And, but I, do still think it's a dog or pass situation in a sort of way because I think DeCastro, even though he's going to be a much smaller fighter, I mean, he does throw some vicious leg kicks. Obviously, he throws uh, nasty. He's got nasty knockout power. He's got great timing with that jump knee he has as well. So on the feet, man, you can't sleep on him. I mean, if Hardy comes in here just disrespecting DeCastro, that's not a good move. DeCastro can definitely, I mean, end his night. Hardy's shown a pretty granite chin so far. I mean, again, that athleticism, that speed, and I think his ability to improve really impresses me a lot. So as far as a pure pick goes, I am going to go with Greg Hardy, but I wouldn't bet it. I know a lot of sharp actions coming in on Hardy here. There's going to be also some sharp action backing DeCastro a little bit as, as well, but it seems like more of the sharper opinion is on Greg Hardy, and I can respect that. Again, athleticism and just the way – He's been improving and, you know, you got to factor in that size ability as well and everything that factors in, I think, and it makes it for Greg Hardy capable of winning this fight, but it's going to be a tough fight. This is a step down in comparison to Volkov, but again, with the knockout power that DeCastro possesses and the ability that he has to throw those leg kicks, like I said, even the timed, well-timed knee and the ability to get off his back and off the cage at times as well. I mean, I've been impressed with DeCastro. So this is going to be a very difficult fight for Hardy, but I think he's probably going to edge it out. I could see this fight. I mean, being a heavyweight fight, you could 
probably expect there to be a finish before it hits the scorecards. And in fact, if you're looking at the round total right now, we're looking at one and a half over minus 150, 160 right now in most cases. Um, I could see it probably floating over because I think both these guys are pretty tough. Um, and they're going to be durable enough to kind of probably withstand each other's punishment back and forth a little bit, even though they both throw very hard and are capable of finishing the fight with one punch. I still think that these guys are probably going to be game enough and, and come to fight, man. I mean, this is going to be a fantastic heavyweight fight. So I do think Hardy probably squeaks by and gets it. It could even go to the scorecards as crazy as that sounds. And uh, Hardy could edge him out there on the cards. But I mean, there is probably going to be a finish along the way. And I could see Hardy maybe um, knocking DeCastro out. Like I said, if DeCastro wins, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I think he probably wins by knockout as well if he does get it done. But if the longer it goes, it probably does favor Hardy a little bit. So I'm going to lean with him. And again, I've been impressed with him overall. But for me personally, I'm going to stay away from it at the betting window. I think it's another pass for me. So my pick is Hardy to win. And let's see what he does here. Yeah, I think this fight's going to be pretty competitive. I mean, DeCastro is a talented striker. He's got some good kickboxing experience. So he's going to come in here and uh ready to showcase and ready to brawl. I mean, he he's an aggressive striker. He's he's fun to watch. Um he's quick, he's athletic, um and he's got some power. Uh that being said, um I've really been impressed with uh, Hardy lately, uh, even in the loss to Volkov, the fact that uh, he went the distance with him and didn't embarrass himself, uh, against one of the best heavyweights on the planet. I think that kind of showed, um, his potential. Um, Hardy is much less willing to get suckered into a brawl. He's a lot more conservative now, which is crazy considering he was finishing guys in like 15 seconds, uh, when he started his MMA career. But, uh, it seems like uh, he's really finding his spots, um, waiting for those moments to explode and utilize his speed and quickness and power and athleticism. Um, I expect this fight to stay standing. Neither fighter has really shown any willingness to go to the ground whatsoever. So uh, for however long it, it is on the feet, I think uh, it's going to be pretty entertaining. Um, you know, the, the threat of the finish from Hardy is going to be at, at all times. And Hardy's shown a pretty good chin, so I think it's going to be pretty difficult for DeCastro to really clip him, especially if Hardy is uh, sitting back and waiting for his moments more, which I expect to happen. So I think this is going to be fun. It's going to be competitive, but I'm leaning Hardy. I just, I love the size and strength. And, you know, DeCastro has faced bigger, taller, longer opponents throughout his career. You know, he's he's been an undersized heavyweight his whole career. So this is nothing new to him, but you still have to, when you combine somebody with the size of Hardy and the athleticism and speed, I think that that's something that DeCastro really has not seen. So I think that that will really help Hardy, and I think uh, he can win this by knockout, and he might win by decision. So I'm leaning Hardy. Now, moving down to the featherweight division, we have Jeremy Stevens, who's 28 and 17, taking on Calvin Cater, who is 20 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Cater opened minus 250, the comeback on Stevens around plus 194. Right now, what we're seeing over the Don Best screen is around minus 250, plus 200-ish. So, Cater is still a favorite, minus 250, and then Stevens plus 200 tough one, man. If, I tell you what, if you're tuning in to watch some fireworks, this is one fight that's going to deliver that because this should be quite a striking affair. I mean, both these guys are not going to probably look to take this fight to the floor. We're going to see a fantastic scrap on the feet. 
everything you want to see here. I mean, Cater's guy on the rise right now where Stevens is kind of the one, I don't want to say he's declined, but he's getting used as a gatekeeper type of role right now, for sure. There's no question about that. I mean, he's been in the UFC for a long time, but he's been towards the top of, you know, his, his division for a long time as well. And this featherweight fight is going to be a beauty. I mean, like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of technical striking back and forth here, especially Cater. I think Cater is the more diverse technical striker overall. Um, I like what I see from him thus far. Um, but Stevens is just a threat, man. I mean, he throws some nasty leg kicks. He's got that one punch knockout power, of course, as well. So he could be losing this fight. I mean, he showed it time and time again, where he could be maybe down on the scorecards and then all of a sudden just blast you and just changes the complexion of the whole fight or puts you out. So that's the kind of fight ending knockout power that Stevens has. But that being said, I still think, again, I mean, this matchup was made for Cater to win. And I think he probably does get it done. I think he's just the more diverse striker. I think if he can kind of, check some of those leg kicks from time to time, which is going to be tough. I mean, he, he again, offensively, he throws them well, but I think it just Stevens has become a beast, especially with that power that he ends up hitting you with um, every aspect of that. I mean, whether it's his hands or his feet is just vicious. So Cater's going to get hit and he's going to get hit hard along the way. I think he's overall, he showed some durability and he's going to be more than game. So I think Cater ends up winning this fight. Um, we could see a stoppage here because I think either way, like I said, if Stevens wins it, it probably might be a stoppage. Although we've seen Cater be pretty durable, as I said, again, Stevens has that one punch knockout power that few featherweights really have in comparison, I mean, to Stevens. But that said, I think Cater can maybe possibly clip that chin because, again, I think he's a very accurate fighter. And, and maybe we're going to start to see Stevens kind of slipping a little bit as his career progresses from here. Again, he's been in the octagon so many times. I mean, he's had a great career. So eventually we're going to see him kind of start declining even more so, right? So it's going to come eventually. And Cater is, again, on the rise a little bit more. I mean, he's really a couple fights away from really being a major player in the featherweight division. We've seen that already from him. So I think Cater could definitely outpoint Stevens and probably win on the scorecards. I think Cater maybe finds a finishing spot along the way as well. Um, I don't think Stevens could probably outpoint um, Cater in this spot unless he starts doing some serious damage on that leg and, you know, Cater gets in trouble and then he kind of survives an ugly type of decision or ugly type of fight for him, then maybe Stevens could pull it off on the scorecards. But I think it's probably knockout or bust for Stevens in this fight. And I think Cater can win. He has more ways to win this fight. So I'm going to pick Cater. But again, would I lay minus 250 on it? Absolutely not. I would stay away from it. Stevens is just too dangerous to lay that kind of chalk still against, you know, against him really. Because like I said, one punch changes the whole complexion of the fight. So Stevens is game. I understand it. I think it's a dog or pass situation probably where it is right now. If anything, it's going to be an outstanding fight. There's no way this fight is a dud. I hope I didn't jinx it by saying that, but more times than not, it's not. I mean, these guys show up to fight every time, and these guys show up to fight fan-friendly fights, put it that way. So I expect it to be one of those fights, but I'm going to slightly side with Cater. Um, but again, minus 250, be careful if you're laying that chalk. And I'm just going to keep this one pretty simple. I like Cater. I think that he's uh, younger He's taken less damage. He's uh, pushes a better pace. I think he's the more technical striker. I think he makes his things up a little bit better than Stevens. Um, I just think he's overall the superior fighter here, and he's coming into this fight, even though he's lost a few, um, he's he's coming into this fight with a lot of momentum, having uh, been competitive against some very good opponents. So uh, I like uh, Cater. I think... Um, I think he's going to take care of business here against Stevens. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he got a knockout, but I think the most realistic thing is that Cater just outworks Stevens over the course of three rounds and wins a decision. Now, uh, Stevens is still dangerous. Um, he's always going to have that 
uh, power in his back pocket that he can launch and unleash. And uh, if it connects, he could do some damage. But Cater's shown to be pretty durable so far. He can take a shot. And unless Stevens hurts him in two out of the three rounds and then follows up and really and either finishes him or uh, is able to really win over uh, the judges, um, I just don't see how he wins this fight. I just think that it's uh, Cater's fight to lose. I think uh, he's just going to be the more aggressive fighter. I think he's going to be the more technical fighter. I think he's going to land the better strikes. And I just think it's his time. So I'm going to side with uh, Calvin Cater. I think he's the superior fighter, and it's going to show on Saturday. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Francis Ngannou, who is 14-3, and taking on Jerzino Rosenstrike, who is 10-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Ngano opened up around minus 293, the comeback on Rosenstrike at plus 223. And right now what we're seeing at the Donbass screen is around minus 280 for Ngano, the comeback around plus 230 for Rosenstrike. So again, line margins have tightened up a little bit, and it's it's about where it opened. It's bouncing back and forth a little bit. I've seen it minus 300 in Vegas or so, and now it's about bouncing back down a little bit. And there is two-way action in this fight. A lot of people are going to throw Ngano in parlays. I get it. I mean, Ngano's a freak, man. I mean, he's one of the most dangerous and one of the scariest heavyweights I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the guy is just a phenomenal. Talk about athletes. Ngano is one of those. He wasn't an all-pro uh, defensive player, but at the same time, this guy is just a freak athlete. He's fast. Um, obviously, he's got that crazy knockout power. I mean, if he connects with you flush, you're done. You're not getting up from this guy's punches. I mean, he's done it time and time again. We've seen it. So scary dude. But the problem with Ngano for me is, you know, I mean, a lot of people can look back at the Derek Lewis fight. A lot of people can look back at the Stipe fight and, and kind of question those performances for sure. And and I do question those a little bit. Obviously, Rosenstrike is not going to look to take him down or implement Stipe's plan in this spot. But, I mean, this could look a little bit like the Derek Lewis fight. I know, again, after that fight, Ngano has kind of stepped back up and let his hands go. And he hasn't really looked like a dud that much. But that was one of the worst fights. If you guys have looked back at Romero and Adesanya and think that was a bad fight, I mean, Lewis Ngano is kind of comparable. That was a very bad fight for Ngano. And, again, I mean, I don't think you're ever as bad as your worst performance. So, Ngano, I don't expect to see that out of him. But I think he's going to have to respect Rosenstrike's power here in this spot um, without question because Ngano finally found somebody that could really punch with him a little bit. I mean, again, the athleticism and explosiveness and the speed of Ngano probably can't be matched right now in the heavyweight division. The guy's a freak. But Rosenstrike overall, I think, is the better striker. I think he's a smarter striker. I think he's more than capable of landing bombs as well and, and knockout type of punches. I mean, we've seen it with the Overing fight. I mean, I know he won that late, and a lot of people were saying if he went to the scorecards, he probably would have lost. And that's more than likely true, obviously. I mean, uh, he was on his way to loss, but he landed that punch, split that lip open of Overing, and got it done. I mean, he did what he had to do. That being said, Styles make fights, and he, this is not Overeem he's facing. Ngano's a different fighter. I think that, again, these guys can definitely hurt each other on the feet here. And I think Rosenstrike has a really good opportunity. To, if this fight goes on, I mean, if we get into round one, and, and, and towards the end of round one, try, uh, the beginning of round two, round three, if it gets into deep waters, I think the tide quickly changes, and Rosenstrike actually has the edge if it does somehow go to decision, which, you know, obviously more, more than likely a lot of us think it won't go to the decision. I mean, the round total here is one and a half under 20 or one and a half flat or so. So not many people are expecting it to go past that, uh, you know, one and a half round mark. But that being said, I think that 
again, if, if it's kind of one of these boring, almost lackluster fight where they're respecting each other's power to the point where they're not as active as they could be, it could easily start going over that one and a half spot. And if that's the case, I think Rosenstrike's going to do enough to start taking this fight over and probably win it. If it's the scorecards, I could see Rosenstrike winning, but he doesn't really have to win that route. I think he's got enough power on the feet that he's, he can expose some defensive flaws that Ngano has as well. So if he can, again, not get clipped early on in this fight and let this fight play out a little bit, I, I do think that Rosenstrike probably is a side here. And as far as value goes, there's no question in my mind. I mean, if you're getting Rosenstrike around plus 230, plus 235, then I'm seeing cross down best. I mean, even there's a plus 245 in Vegas um, showing at William Hill as well. So there's different spots you could get. You know, obviously anything plus 200 or above, there's definitely value in Rosenstrike here in this spot. I wouldn't even be surprised if we see Encano trying to wrestle. I know that sounds crazy. But I think that he's going to respect that power. And, and, you know, obviously game planning and and coaching is not stupid. I mean, there's even, I believe, a post from uh, Extreme Couture that I saw Randy Couture working with Ngano on some takedowns and and maybe look making a blueprint for that in case uh, he needs to utilize that wrestling. But the problem is I think he's not going to be able to hold a Rosenstrike down. And if he starts to wrestle, that's probably going to gas him out a little bit more. And he's always had a little bit of a cardio issue. I mean, it's it's nice that he did end up going the distance in five rounds in that Stipe fight. Um, but still, I mean, he does slow down for sure in fights. And I think that Rosenstrike, you know, he could pace himself a little bit better. And I think that he's not going to have that conditioning issue. And again, if Ngano does choose to wrestle in this spot, which a lot of people aren't even considering, I think, for the most part, I wouldn't be shocked if he does attempt a takedown or two along the way. If he does go to that blueprint, I think Rosenstrike probably strike gets back up and he probably ends up uh, taking over the fight anyway. So for me, there's a lot to like in Rosenstrike here. I'm going to pick him straight out. Again, I know that this fight can end and Gano can go out there, let his hands go and possibly end this fight within the first 30 seconds. I wouldn't be shocked, right? But we're talking about value and we're talking about the betting window here. We're talking about this is a betting podcast, obviously. There is no way I'm going to lay minus 300 over a Rosen strike. That's I think that's absurd. I wouldn't throw him in a parlay. I wouldn't lay it straight, obviously. I think there's extreme value on plus 200 or above on the other side. So my pick is Rosen strike and I wouldn't blame you guys for taking a stab at him either because I think he's a very underrated heavyweight fighter at this point. A lot of people are kind of down on him because he didn't knock out the Chini Overeem quicker. And I think, like I said, people are underestimating because of that. I mean, he beat a legendary heavyweight fighter and people are thinking, ah, man, he couldn't knock Overeem out quicker. So he's, he's not that good. I think you guys are severely underestimating this guy. So again, this should be fireworks. This is a fantastic fight, but my pick is Rosenstrike and I wouldn't blame you guys for taking a stab at him either. And it's possible that I am underestimating Rosenstrike. I mean, before the Overeem fight, um, he really put on some great performances, uh, dominating, uh, Andre Arlovsky, Alan Crowder, Albini. I mean, he was looking sensational in those fights. Um, and, uh, then it took him, you know, almost five full rounds to take out Overeem. Um, and he was losing that fight all the way up right until the, uh, the, the the finish in the final seconds. So it's very possible that I'm underestimating him. I mean, I do think that he's a talented striker. He's powerful. He's big. He's strong. But he's not as powerful as Nganu. He's not as big as Nganu. He's not as strong as Nganu. Um, and yeah, Nganu has had that moment of weakness when right after that loss to, to Stipe that he just did not show up in the Derek Lewis fight, a very winnable fight for him. And he just stared at him for three straight rounds. But it seems like whatever problem he had, he's over it. I mean, since that loss to Lewis, the decision loss where he threw like three strikes for in 15 minutes, 
he has absolutely destroyed everyone that's been put in front of him. And they've all been uh, top players. I mean, Curtis Blades in a rematch. Blades was uh, just about top five at the time. And he takes him out, knockout, in 45 seconds. Then former champion Kane Velasquez, 26 seconds. Then former champion Junior Dos Santos, a minute and 11. So, I mean, it seems like whatever problem that uh, Nganu had, he's put it behind him. And I've been impressed. I mean, I really am. Um, yes, Rosenstruik is probably the more technical striker, but Overeem was the more technical striker too uh, against Nganu, and it just took one big punch. And that was one of the most devastating knockouts I've ever seen, one of the most vicious uppercuts. So... um I think uh, Rosenstruik is a lot more hittable. Um, you know, Overeem was really getting some uh, good shots. In. And yes, Overeem is a more technical striker than Nganu. So maybe that was the reason why he was able to, to land so convincingly and so well over the course of five rounds against Rosenstruik. But um, despite that, I just, I can't get it out of my head uh just how powerful and scary Nganu is capable of being. So, um, yes, it's possible that Rosenstruik could uh, outpoint Nganu over the course of three rounds, but I just think the more likely outcome is Nganu steps in there um, and lands that one huge shot and Rosenstruik goes down. Um, I just think he's he's a little hittable and uh, Nganu's going to punish him. I don't think Nganu's going to be, you know, scared like he was in the Lewis fight. I think that he's going to show up and he's going to be just as terrifying as he ever was. Um, I think it's going to be fun because both guys are big and strong and hit hard. But I just think Nganu's bigger, stronger, and hits harder. So, and that's what it's going to come down to. So, my pick is going to be Nganu. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the bantamweight division, we have Henry Cejudo who is 15 and 2 taking on Dominic Cruz who is 22 and 2. Now Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Cejudo opened minus 245, the comeback on Cruz plus 175. And right now looking over at the Don Best screen, we are seeing an average of about minus 225 for Cejudo, the comeback on Cruz at plus 185. So another spot where obviously line margins have tightened up quite a bit. And there is two-way action coming into this fight. I mean, we've seen this fight kind of escalate to around minus 250 or so, 240, 250. The Vegas price was sitting at around plus 200 for a while. Now we're seeing it creep back down a little bit. Caesars, in fact, just moved in front of me and on the down best screen down to plus 185. Um, we're seeing Circa, Westgate down around plus 190 or so. And then, again, most of the offshore books are around plus 185 or so for for uh, for a cruise, I should say. So Cejudo, a solid favorite here. But you know what? In my opinion, I mean – if this fight were to take place a, a little while ago, it would be a lot closer to pick him with a slight lean maybe towards Cejudo, especially after his recent performances. Let, let me make no mistake. Cejudo, Triple C as they call him, man, the guy's been impressive. I mean, I've seen him grow up right in front of my eyes. Even before he made his UFC debut, I was setting lines on him and some of the smaller organizations coming in, you know, before again, he made his official UFC debut and I wasn't that impressed. I thought to myself, for this guy being a world-class wrestler, he doesn't use his wrestling all that much. He, he wanted to stand up and bang a little bit. His striking wasn't overly impressive. I wasn't that impressed at all, but we've seen him come into the UFC and really make strides on his game, especially since that Joe Benavides, um, you know, 
fight or that DJ loss, I should say his fight with Joe Benavidez actually is where he turned the corner in my opinion. And I mean, that was a split decision type of fight. I mean, it was just a close fight, a coin flip. It could have realistically went either way. Benavidez ended up getting it. But for me, that was a game changer because Benavidez, especially at that time was closer to his prime. And so Hudo basically, you know, after that DJ loss, he just stepped up his game to a whole nother level. So I have a lot of respect for him. Um, and, you know, and, and he's put the work in and he's a special athlete. We're talking about, I mean, Olympic champion, obviously, for a reason. You don't get to that level without being a, something special, a special phenom. And he is another one of these cases, right? But looking across from him, you have Dominic Cruz, one of the best bantamweights of all time, one of the smartest fighters that I've ever seen grace the octagon. I mean, you, you watch his commentary and you listen to what he says. You could see that. It's evident. Dominic Cruz is one of these guys that is a very intelligent fighter, comes up with great game plans. His movement on the feet – and his ability, I mean, a lot of fighters have mocked him ever since. They've kind of tried to steal the, his fighting, um, you know, his fighting way, really. I mean, his, his blueprints and his path to victories a lot of times, the way he kind of moves around, the way he picks his opponents apart. And, you know, his wrestling is top-notch as well. I mean, so this isn't going to be an easy fight for Cejudo to come in here and not wrestle Cruz, right? So this is probably going to end up staying on the feet. And again, my concern here with Cruz is that he's been out for over three years. He's been injury-prone. He hasn't been consistently fighting, obviously. We know that. Um, but if it wasn't for those circumstances, this fight would be a lot closer to a pick type of fight right now, in my opinion. So there's only one way you could bet this fight. You cannot lay the chalk on Sehudo. I don't care if he goes out here and knocks Cruz out and Cruz looks like he's a shell of himself. No regrets there. You can't really lay that kind of chalk right now because, again, obviously Sehudo's more than capable of competing in either flyweight or bantamweight, but this is in the bantamweight division. So this is the heavier weight class for him. And although he's found success here, I still think Cruz is going to have a little bit of size on him. He's going to have, like I said – championship caliber experience no doubt about it i mean last time he he was on a layoff he ended up coming back and stealing the title away from dillashaw he, he ended up stealing the title at a very competitive decision but he stole that title from dillashaw and he's the one that says that rust isn't a factor for him and you know what he kind of stepped in there and proved that so with all that being said i think it's going to be a very competitive fight it'll be back and forth but cruz probably outpoints Cejudo. if he doesn't get knocked out and this fight hits the scorecards i wouldn't be surprised we see a new champion crown here so again question marks though you have to definitely Look at that, and you have to look at the fact that, I mean, Cruz is 35 years old, but his body and his wear and tear through the years has definitely taken a beating, and he's, you know, he's become injury prone. But when he performed in the octagon, and when he's on, man, he's on. And again, one of the best bantamweights ever. He's looking to step in here and, and just make history again and prove everybody wrong here. So I think there's only one way you could bet this fight: it's dog or pass. Uh, but as far as a pure pick goes, I'm only going to pick Sehudo. Because, again, if it's more of a pick em type of fight, he's kind of the hotter fighter right now. He's making improvements by leaps and bounds. So I'll pick Cejudo to win the fight. But we're talking about from a betting perspective. I don't think you could do that. You can't lay the chalk on Cejudo against a guy like Dominic Cruz. So I think it's a dog or pass situation. But if this was a pick em type of fight, of course, I'd lean a little bit more to Cejudo here. So it's all about the odds, all about the lines. I don't think it should be sitting at minus 200. I think it should be a lot closer to maybe realistically 130 or 140-ish or something like that right now for Cejudo, closer to a pick em type of fight. So there's definitely some value to be had on Dominic Cruz here. But again, it's that trust factor. Do you trust him not to come out here and kind of take that step back and look like a shell of his former self. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks here. So that goes into the line, of course, and the confidence level for most people is definitely on Cejudo. I think there's a lot of sharp opinion, though, on Cruz as well, and I can understand it, and I kind of agree with it again, because if this fight were to take place without the layoff, without all the injury concerns, this fight would be a lot closer. Now, again, you got to factor everything in. It is what it is, but in my opinion – Again, dog or pass, but as far as a pure pick goes, I'll side with Cejudo very slightly. But I think Dominic Cruz could come back and regain that title here. So let's see how it plays out. 
My main issue here is not that Dominic Cruz last fought three and a half years ago, which is true. My main issue is that when he did fight his last fight three and a half years ago, he got the absolute crap kicked out of him. I mean, he laid a massive egg against Cody Garbrandt. And now that we've seen, you know, Cody Garbrandt hasn't actually had that great of a performance ever since, you know, he's had three straight knockout losses since beating Cruz. Um, you know, I just, I'm just don't have a lot of confidence that Cruz is going to be the guy, you know? Um, yes, he's super talented, but Cruz has no power. Um, I think that he's probably going to have lost a step with all the injuries and it being three more years at 35 years old. This sport is so unforgiving for the lower weight classes. It's so tough to be in your thirties and especially mid thirties at a Bantam weight. I mean, a, a, a weight class, especially with a fighting style like Cruz has that relies so much on footwork and speed and precision. Um, I just think that that is a very, very bad sign. Um, and Cruz is, you know, even though he hasn't been knocked out, you know, his chin is starting to go. I mean, Garbrandt rocked him repeatedly. Faber hurt him. You know, we've seen Cruz get in some bad spots uh, on the feet lately, and especially that last fight. And again, the last fight being so long ago, and that was still such a terrible performance. And now he's expected to go in there and take on somebody that, has, whose stock has risen so drastically, uh, in the last year. I mean, Henry Cejudo, um, he came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I thought that he was done after that loss to, uh, Demetrius Johnson the first time, but, uh, he bounced back so strong. Um, his boxing has improved leaps and bounds. His power is, you know, immense at this point. Um, and he's just got that toughness. Uh, you know, even though he had a hurt foot, even though Marlon Moraes was, you know, the, at my, in my opinion, the most dangerous, uh, fighter in the Bantamweight division and the, and was doing well against him, he just gritted his teeth and pushed forward and wore him down. Um, you know, Cejudo has power, he has tenacity, he's got that, you know, world-class wrestler, uh, mindset, um, even with Cruz being in, like Nick said, the, the most intelligent, uh, you know, fighter that there, that exists, you know, having the intelligence is great, but you still also need to have the physical ability to implement the intelligence. And I'm just not quite convinced that, uh, Dominic Cruz is the guy that's going to be able to do it. Uh, maybe if you had, his intelligence with, you know, a, a younger man's, you know, body and somebody that can punch really, really hard. But that's just not what Dominic Cruz can do. And I think, uh, you know, I think Henry Cejudo can get takedowns. I think Henry Cejudo is going to land some punches and I think he's going to hurt Dominic Cruz. I think, uh, at some point, I think he actually could knock Cruz out. So. Uh, it's very possible if Cruz can kind of dig back into, you know, the glory days and, uh, before all the injuries really derailed his career, um, and, uh, show up and, uh, relive the, relive it and somehow walk away with a decision. But I just, I have to face reality here and I just don't think that he can do it. 
So, um, I mean, he's talented, but I think that for him to go five rounds and avoid, uh, the big right hand of Cejudo over the, over that time, uh, somebody that's just on the rise and has so much momentum, um, I think that's a little unrealistic. So I'm going to side with Henry Cejudo. I think he gets the win. I think at some point, uh, uh, he finishes Cruz and we might even see Cruz retire after this. So, uh, that could be, you know, me just saying, you know, something ridiculous, but I think it's, it's a possibility. So my pick is going to be Cejudo. Now moving on to the main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Tony Ferguson, who is 25 and three taking on Justin Gaethje, who is 21 and two. Now, Nick. What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Ferguson, minus 207, Gaethje, plus 164, opening line. And right now what we're seeing on the Donbass screen is minus 185 for Ferguson in most spots, plus 155 on the comeback on Gaethje. So, again, line margins tighten up a little bit. More action coming in right now as we see it on Gaethje, I guess, as the line's dropping a little bit in real time. But at the same time, it just kind of went up a little bit not too long ago, a few days of Ferguson as well. So this line has been getting true two-way action. There's been sharp sides on both of these fighters for sure. Like both sharp actions come in on Ferguson, betting the line up a little bit. Sharp action came in on Gaethje early on, dropping the line a little bit. So there's definitely going to be a lot of split opinions on this fight. I mean, what can you say wrong about Ferguson? The guy is just a beast, man. He deserves to be in this spot where he's at. Um, I mean, there's no question. I mean, that Khabib fight that we were all looking forward to, uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't get to play out, right? And he deserves to get that unification title back out for sure. Uh, but I don't know, man. This is a dangerous fight for him to take against Gaethje. I mean, Gaethje stylistically, Gaethje stylistically matches up pretty tough for Ferguson. I know Ferguson is one of these guys that overall has shown good durability. I mean, he's a type of fighter that he has been hurt in a lot of fights. He's been rocked, but he recovers very, very quickly. And the guy puts so, so much pressure on you, and he's so dangerous everywhere the fight takes place. His striking is impressive. Uh, you know, he, he mixes things up very well. He slices you open with his elbows. I mean, he can pick you apart. He, he's just a very smart, intelligent fighter on the ground. He's got great chokes. He's got decent wrestling, decent takedown. Deeds. He's a threat everywhere the fight takes place. That's why he's on this crazy win streak that he's on. That's why he's one of the best lightweights in the world. And he's going to get an opportunity to prove that he is the best lightweight in the world, starting with this fight. And if he wins this fight, then he is going to face Khabib for that unification bout if he wins this fight. But that being said, it's going to be a tough fight for him because he dubs does absorb a lot of punishment in his fights. And Gaethje is one of these guys that has that special kind of knockout power. I mean, the guy is just relentless with the strikes that he throws and the power that he throws. I mean, he's getting, he's been a little bit more patient as of late, but at the same time, he kind of has that instinct in him. When he goes after you, he just, he goes after you, put you away. I don't like it a lot of times because it opens him up defensively. I mean, he gets hit. He's a little bit too hittable for my liking at times for sure. Um, and as a fight progresses, I mean, he realistically only has about 10 to 12 minutes before that gas tank starts to drain. I don't care how long of a camp he's had. I don't, that doesn't matter. A lot of people are going to say, Oh, he's coming in a little bit short notice. Or now since the fight wasn't on the 18th, he's going to have a little bit more gas. You know what? He could have a full training camp in my opinion. And he's only probably going to have about 10 to 12 strong minutes, period. I mean, that's just the fighter that he is. 
So if he doesn't get this done within that time slot, there's a very good chance that Tony Ferguson takes over and probably finishes Gaethje in round three, in round four, or in round five. But let me tell you this. The first two rounds are going to be hell to pay for Ferguson. That's no Make no mistake about that. And I'd realistically think that Gaethje stylistically is just a nightmare matchup for Ferguson. This fight's going to probably stay up on the feet. Ferguson's going to try to come in and push the pace that he does. I mean, obviously, Ferguson put, uh, Gaethje pushes a high pace as well. They're going to meet in the middle. They're going to start throwing bombs. I think in the exchanges, I really believe that Gaethje's going to catch Ferguson, hurt him. And once he hurts Ferguson, he's going to follow up and just end the fight. I mean, that's the difference between some of the other guys that have recently kind of tagged Ferguson and hurt him and Gaethje. Gaethje has that special type of knockout power that I'm saying that he's not going to be able to recover as quickly. Gaethje's going to follow up with a couple bombs, and that's it. It's going to be lights out. I realistically see that playing out in this fight, and that that's the scenario I think happens more so than not. I mean, if this fight drags on, I mean, hopefully I'm wrong, and maybe Gaethje can hang in there and maybe win some late rounds, but I ho- highly doubt it. I mean, it's one of these cases that it's knockout or bust kind of situation for Gaethje here, because as the fight progresses, we, we know it. I mean, he does tend to slow down, and he is more vulnerable. I mean, he eats a lot of strikes, and Tony Ferguson sees that in you, and after the first couple rounds, if he sees that weakness in you and he, and he sees that you're slowing down, he's going to pick up the pace even more. He makes life miserable for you. But again, that's what makes Ferguson the special fighter that he is. So this is an outstanding main event. A lot of people, again, disappointed that Khabib Ferguson didn't happen. But man, is this a great makeup fight for it. I mean, this is going to be even funner in most cases because we know what would have happened probably in the Khabib Ferguson fight. Khabib's probably going to look for those takedowns and try to grind him out. That's going to be a more boring fight, in my opinion, than this fight. This is a highlight waiting to happen. And the highlight is actually Gaethje, no pun intended, but that's his nickname as well. And I, I believe that, man. He's not in a dull fight. He's never in a boring fight. And he's, like I said, I repeated it several times. He got, he had. Has that special knockout power. So stylistically for me, this is a bad matchup. Despite Ferguson's long win streak, this is a fight that I think he's not going to win here. I think that again, the first two rounds, if it even goes past the first, are going to be hell for Ferguson. And I don't think he's going to make it through that point. So for me personally, it's a dog or pass situation. I'm going to pick Gaethje to win straight out. I think he's going to be the new interim lightweight champion here in this spot. And not only that, I mean, obviously, I think there's some value in Gaethje as a bet. And I think you can look at the knockout prop because if I'm not mistaken, you could probably find the knockout prop. Gaethje by knockouts probably around plus 190-ish or so. So, I mean, it's a little bit higher than the plus 155, plus 150s, plus 160s that you're getting on uh, on Gaethje right now out there. And again, if he's going to win, it's probably more than likely going to be by knockout. I don't really see him subbing Ferguson unless he has him half dead and he jumps on a guillotine choke or something like that just to finish him. But more than likely, it's going to be his punches, obviously, that's going to win him this fight. I do believe we're going to see Gaethje win this fight. I mean, a lot of people are going to be surprised by this because Ferguson's been such a dominant fighter and he's looked so good. A lot of people think he's invincible. But you know what? Everybody has his kryptonite and Gaethje is... I think Ferguson's kryptonite. So my pick is Gaethje. And again, it's dog or pass situation. I believe there is some value even at the current price. I think there's value realistically around plus 130 and up. You could bet Gaethje, really. And now you're getting plus 150s, plus 160s. Obviously, you want to line shop and get the best line possible out there. I mean, it was one sports book earlier today had plus 175 out there showing. So, I mean, plus 160s were there to grab, plus 170. So line shop and try to definitely find the best possible value. Because again, you can never underestimate a guy with a championship cap caliber of Tony Ferguson. He's here for a reason, and the guy is definitely a dangerous fighter, but I really like what I see from Gaethje, and I think stylistically it's a nightmare matchup for Ferguson. So hopefully it plays out like I said, um, and Gaethje wins that term lightweight strap. So my pick is Gaethje, and probably by knockout. And I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to agree with you here. Justin Gaethje is a madman. I mean, they're both madmen. Tony Ferguson is a crazy person. Justin Gaethje is insane. And I think that this is has the makings of to be one of the most competitive 
interesting and entertaining main events that has ever existed. Um, I mean, these guys both just throw caution to the wind at times. Uh, Ferguson has a bad tendency of uh, leaving his chin exposed while being uh, the aggressor and putting a lot of pressure on his opponents. But uh, Gaethje is an equally uh, likes to put pressure on his opponents. I mean, I'm going to be very interested to see who's going to be the one that backs off because both of these guys love to move forward. They love to make their opponent uh, have to adjust their game plan, have to make their opponent react to them. And uh, I've been really impressed with what I've seen out of Gaethje in his most recent fights. It seemed like he's learned some lessons from the losses to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier because um, he's been a different fighter. Um, you know, he was, he's been a little bit more patient, but still just ferocious uh, going out there and not just winning, but destroying James Vick, Edson Barboza, and Donald Cerrone all in a row, all in the first round. Um, uh, I think the Barbosa, especially, you know, I was expecting a really talented technical striker like Barbosa to pick Gaethje apart, but Gaethje's pressure just tore right through Barbosa. It didn't give him space and he was able to land that big shot and take him out. Um, I think that the same thing here can happen to Tony Ferguson. Uh, I know that Gaethje has, you know, taken some shots and he's been hurt in fights and finished in fights and Ferguson's never been finished um, on the feet. But despite that, uh, Ferguson has been rocked. I mean, repeatedly. We've seen him rocked by Veneta. We've seen him mocked by Trujillo, rocked by Johnson and Pettis. Um, so it happens. He just recovers quickly and is able to uh, bounce back and win the fight. So I think this time around, though, I don't know. You know, if Justin Gaethje hurts Tony Ferguson, he's just going to pour it on and put him away. Um, in terms of pure skill, uh, these guys are both super talented. I mean, Ferguson is very well-rounded. He's good on the ground. He's got some crazy unique submission abilities. He just does a lot of really unique things, the, the Granby rolls. I mean, you name it. Um, it he's all over the place. Uh, he can finish you off of his back. Um, with Gaethje, I think he's a little bit more straightforward. I mean, he just likes to move forward on the feet, throw insane power leg kicks, heavy hands, um, and he just likes to really force his opponent to back to back up. And, and I'm just I'm really interested to see what happens here. But uh like Nick said, um, you know, both of these guys can get hurt on the feet, both have a ton of power. I mean, I just think this is a really even evenly matched fight. Uh my only concern is that Gaethje is taking it on a little bit of short notice. Um you know, obviously this was supposed to be Habib and then that got scrapped. Gaethje was going to take it on even shorter notice, but thankfully he's had a few more weeks to prepare. Uh, and I just think this is going to be a barn burner. But um, Ferguson uh, is capable of winning at any moment just because he has those long arms, a lot of power, but so can Gaethje. And uh, honestly, I'm going to side with Gaethje. I just think that if he connects with Ferguson, he's going to follow up aggressively and take him out. And like Nick said, um, that's the most likely path to victory for Gaethje because Ferguson is the type of fighter that gets stronger as the fight goes on. So if this does go the distance, I can see Ferguson, you know, even if Gaethje wins the first couple of rounds, I really do think he needs to finish uh, because uh, Ferguson, I can see taking the last two rounds and taking the fight. So 
my pick is going to be Gaethje, but if he cannot put Ferguson away, even if he starts really strong, you might want to uh, put in a live bet or something on, on Ferguson. So my pick is Gaethje, but th- the fans are really the winners in this one. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 249. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We also can notify you of our free bets via email if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsbreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Remember to check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. <laughs>